Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, December 1st, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Executive Editor, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. This week, Andrew, a justice in the U.S. Federal Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit in New Orleans heard arguments over HB 900, the controversial book rating law from Texas. You listened to the hearing and reported on it for PW. What did you think? You know, I actually think it went pretty well for the plaintiff booksellers and publishers. And you know, I, I'll put it this way. There were no surprise questions or landmines from the court, which is not always the case with the Fifth Circuit, which is widely considered to be the most conservative court in the nation. And I'll, I'll remind our listeners that back in June, the Fifth Circuit's questioning in another book banning case. This was the case over library books in Lano County. It was very tense and actually a little bit puzzling, though there was a a rather famous young conservative judge named Kyle Duncan, who seemed very intent at that hearing on, you know, understanding why people can't just pull books they don't like off library shelves, even though that's not really what the case before him was about. Anyway, that case is yet to be decided, I'll point out. Uh, as to HB 900, you know, I'll just take another moment here to call out the plaintiff's attorney, Laura Prather, who has just been super impressive thus far. And this hearing was no different. She was very well prepared, very well spoken, focused, on point. There's just some really some world-class lawyering, and I enjoyed listening to the hearing. Not so much for the state, where Caitlin Jackson, arguing for the state of Texas, stumbled, I think, and contradicted herself now and again. And I think she presented a very puzzling main argument for the court to consider. Uh, this is not to suggest that Caitlin Jackson is not a capable lawyer, just I think more to the point that the state really doesn't have a case that it's confident in, I don't think. Uh, that I don't think it really has confidence in the underlying law here, uh, HB 900, which as we've discussed on this program, I think is a mess and not very easily defended. Remind us of the contrasting views in this case, Andrew. Sure. So the bulk of the state's case focused on technical grounds, right? HB 900, it's not a book ban or anything that would infringe on anyone's constitutional rights, according to the state. But you don't even need to get there, the judge told, or excuse me, Jackson told the court, because the district court erred by not throwing this case out on a couple of technical issues, ripeness being one, standing being another, and sovereign immunity being the other. So the simplest way for this court to resolve the plaintiff's claims, Jackson uh, told the Fifth Circuit, was to find that they're not ripe and just toss the case. Uh, and I'll explain that a little bit more because, you know, basically the case comes down to this for the state. Because the book ratings are not yet implemented, because they're not required, it won't be until April 1, uh, and there's also new collection standards that are key to the law that have not been determined. There's just no injury yet, right? Everything is speculative, at least so that's what the state says. So, hey, let's just punt this down the road. Now, on the state sovereign immunity claim, I think it's a really much more strained argument. Basically, our, our listeners may know sovereign immunity is the legal doctrine that protects states from being sued in federal court. But there's a very prominent exception. It's known as ex parte young. And that says that you can basically sue state officials acting in their official capacity to sort of restrain or block their actions. And in this bill, there are state officials who are in charge of, you know, implementing the book ratings and barring vendors that don't comply. So that's who's, you know, they're part of the lawsuit here. And because these officials have not come right out and said how they're going to enforce the law, well, then there's no case here, according to the state. 
I think that's pretty weak tea. Uh, anyway, but here's the rub overall for me with this argument, why I think this argument isn't a very good one to make, because even if it wins this case, it really only delays it, right? And Jackson even admitted as much in her argument. She said, you know, look, the plaintiffs may have a case in the future. They may have a constitutional case in the future. They just don't have it now. So the best this legal strategy does for the state, if they win on it, is it punts it down the road a little bit. Uh, we should also note that in joining the law, Judge Alan D. Albright didn't struggle with these legal issues at all. In fact, he very quickly and easily dispatched them in his 59-page ruling uh, in which he issued the injunction. And at the hearing, the appeals court really didn't have any questions on these issues of standing or ripeness or sovereign immunity. And in fact, about halfway through Jackson's argument, uh, one of the justices basically said, hey, Let's put this aside, skip ahead to the merits. So I don't think that's a very good sign <laughs> that these arguments about standing are going to carry the day when the court is telling you to, you know, skip ahead to the good stuff. Uh, meanwhile, on the merits, the state's argument was pretty muddled. You know, basically they tried to assert that there was no constitutional questions here. But if the court found that there was, there's plenty of exceptions. For example, the state has broad powers to regulate what gets sold into schools. And if the vendors look, if they don't want to do the ratings, they don't have to. They don't have to sell into schools at all. So it's, it's voluntary in that sense. Meanwhile, in contrast, Laura Prather came out firing and just basically swiftly stomped on the state's contentions that the case was not ripe. And she cited the plain language of the law of HB 900. She said, look, under the statute, booksellers are clearly prohibited from selling any book to Texas schools until they rate all the books that they've previously sold to school districts, which is an impossible task. So look, this isn't about future harm. This isn't about reading lists in the future, she prayed they were told the court. This is about a prohibition at this moment in time that is prohibiting Texas uh, booksellers in Texas from selling to Texas schools if they have not begun or have undertaken the rating of all the books they previously sold. Furthermore, on this question of standing and ripeness, Prather pointed out there, there's very well-established precedent that holds that when a plaintiff is the object of a regulation, as booksellers very clearly are with this law, that legal challenges are ripe the moment that regulation is passed. And she pointed to an additional source of support here, which we talked about a little bit on this podcast previously, and that's the state's own and only, I'll point out, amicus, Texas uh, State Representative Jared Patterson, who actually wrote HB 900 and who, for some reason, penned an amicus brief that outright rejected the state's legal arguments here. Basically, Prather told the court that this case is about, and I'll quote her here, this case is about booksellers being compelled to speak against their will and being forced to apply imprecise standards to promote the state's preferred message. Uh, and that, frankly, is the question that the appeals court seemed to be most interested in. In fact, Judge Don Willett at one point said, look, putting the ratings aside, you know, states can limit access to sexual content in schools, right? And yes, Prather said, as long as it's done in a way that comports with the Constitution, there is no question about whether the state has broad powers to regulate what goes into schools and school libraries. And Willett then followed up with a telling question, I think. He said, look, I think this really gets to the heart of the matter here. If this law just said that vendors can't sell sexually explicit material to schools and there was no ratings requirement as an enforcement mechanism here, would that be constitutional? And that was where it got interesting. Prather said, well, it depends on how sexually explicit is defined. And that gave her the chance to really talk about why this statute, HB 900, is unconstitutionally vague. She offered a really 
detailed explanation of the impossible burdens that it places on booksellers, which include these exorbitant non-recoupable costs and the inability for booksellers to know which books are in active use in all of Texas's 1200 school districts or are part of the curriculum. Booksellers are middlemen. They don't get the curriculum ahead of time. Uh, and, you know, there's these vague definitions that are at the heart of this suit too, right? They, they involve these undefined community standards, which are now suddenly be applied statewide. And there's no differentiation by age, despite the fact that this law, these ratings would cover everything from kindergarten to high school. These are all burdens that the district court in enjoining the law held were so onerous and so numerous as to call into question whether any third party could comply. And Prather had a good way of describing it. She said it's a race to the bottom. She's like, look, nobody wants to get blacklisted. No author wants to be tarred by a bad rating. So what we're going to get here is that the public is eventually going to get harmed here in addition to the booksellers because they're going to opt on for safety, right? The classics aren't going to get into schools anymore. Uh, and books about these sort of uncomfortable truths that young adults really need to see are not going to get into schools anymore. So in addition to booksellers taking a real hit here, the public ultimately is going to be harmed as well. When is a decision from Judge Willett expected? Well, we really have no idea, uh, though it's possible that a ruling will come quickly because the court has taken this on an expedited schedule. But look, there's also the question here of that administrative stay, which was not issued on the merits of the case. Now, our listeners may recall that after the state appealed, motions panel of the Fifth Circuit on September 25th issued what's known as an administrative stay. They just said, well, we don't know what this case is about, but we're just going to pause it for now uh, until we get a better idea. And so Albright's injunction has been on ice since September 25, and that has allowed the law to take effect pending further action by the appeals court. But now that the case has been briefed and argued, if you're not going to rule quickly on the merits, at least lift the administrative stay, uh, the plaintiffs say. And that's a point that Laura Prather made to the court here, stressing that unless the injunction is continued and this administrative stay is lifted, that the financial and reputational and constitutional effects of this law, of HB 900, the required ratings law, will be irreversible. And she said, even if the law is eventually overturned, and I'll quote her here, this bell cannot be unrung. All of which to say, we don't know when the case is going to be ruled on, but the stakes are indeed sky high in this case, and the industry is paying very close attention. In Iowa, the ACLU and Lambda Legal, an LGBTQ plus civil rights organization, together with a group of named plaintiffs, are challenging Senate File 496, a sweeping new law that critics say seeks to silence LGBTQ plus students and ban books with sexual or LGBTQ plus content. Yeah, so another case to pay attention to and to watch. And by way of background, Senate File 496 was signed by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds back in May, but the law took effect this fall. Specifically, it would ban depictions of sex in written or visual form from school libraries and would prohibit the instruction of materials involving gender identity or sexual orientation for all students up into sixth grade. Now, in response, we've seen numerous media reports that that has already prompted various Iowa school districts to start pulling hundreds of titles from their shelves, including, you know, especially books that contain LGBTQ plus characters, historical figures, or, you know, other LGBTQ plus themes. And furthermore, and I have to point this one out, and one of the most 
pernicious provisions I think I've seen in any of these book banning laws. The law in Iowa requires school officials, and this includes teachers, counselors, whomever, to report to parents if their child is using a different name or request to use a different name or different pronouns. Uh, and under the law, any school staff who don't comport with this provision will face disciplinary action, including job loss or license revocation or, you know, whatever else the law can mete out. And this is regardless of whether or not this kind of, you know, critics call it forced outing, whether this would expose a student to potential family rejection and in many cases, some cases, abuse. So I just find that to be a very troubling aspect of the law. The lawsuit seeks to have the entire law declared unconstitutional and to have key provisions of it permanently blocked. And the plaintiffs are also seeking a preliminary injunction that would you know, block the law's implementation while this litigation proceeds. Uh, it's worth noting, too, that this suit is the latest in about seven or eight lawsuits now that pertain to book banning that we're paying attention to in the third legal action now for the ACLU uh, around the country over book banning. Back, you know, just recently in November, uh, November 17th, the ACLU in Alaska joined with a group of local plaintiffs to sue the Matsu Borough School District north of Anchorage to have 56 books returned to library shelves that they claim were improperly banned. And the ACLU is also suing in Missouri over Senate Bill 755, which is another one of these school library obscenity laws that opponents say are forcing librarians to censor their collections under the threat of imprisonment or fines. So, look, even when if things are starting to wind down in Texas with HB 900, hopefully we'll get a favorable ruling from the appeals court there. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to be talking about book bans and lawyers and court cases well into 2024. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Executive Editor, thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on CCC's podcast, Rudiger Wieschenbart, creator of the Global 50 Publishing Ranking for 2023, tells me why high-level aggregated data on the publishing industry ought to matter to everyone, including the hundreds of publishers that don't make the list. I can explain it in a very simple way. If, if you want to grow vegetables or whatever, cabbages, you can sit in your backyard and do fantastic tomatoes and cabbages and apple trees for yourself and go to the village market and sell this, go home, be happy, and that's it. No need to be interested in the rest. You can, however, also realize wait a moment, I can learn from what others are doing. And then when there is really a transformation going on, learning new tricks is perhaps a very, very important idea to survive. Wish and Bart report on Global 50 Publishers arrives next on Velocity of Content. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to this program wherever you go for podcasts. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening.